Welcome. We are so glad you've joined us today. Are you ready for another Bayside Christian Church podcast? Let's get straight into it. Awesome. Thanks, Rach. Hey, you all doing good? Yeah, um, just wanted to um, you know, just get straight into it, I guess. But over the last few weeks, a few weeks ago, um, Emma came to me and, and said that, you know, we, and it happened to both of us, we've been reminded of, I guess, when we've seen God move in the past, I'm talking 20 years ago, songs and things that uh, we used to sing in church. And uh, believe it or not, we were standing on these our old chairs, jumping up and down, and we got a bit crazy, and, uh, and all kinds of stuff, you know, all these songs. And, and, and God started reminding all this stuff, and, and I started picking up books that were, that were written in that time in Moves of God, and started reading them again, and things like that. And I'm going to share a story today out of one of those books and and a few weeks ago I spoke a message about uh, along those lines about some of that stuff but um, when I was thinking about that Emma, Emma also said she talked to a friend uh, down the Sunshine Coast and then they started chatting and her friend said oh just recently I've started listening to all these songs again and, it's, and she goes, and, and Emma said, oh, well, that's been happening to me as well. And she goes, you're kidding. You know, and it's like, and so, and then I was thinking about that. And a couple of weeks ago, God, uh, I've just felt he spoke to me some words along those lines. And I just want to share this with you before we get into the message this morning. This is what I felt God say. A calling, there's going to be a calling back to be reminded of what God has done. So that the next generation can be led into what God is about to do. People that have seen it will lead others into it. God is beginning to prepare us for a fresh move of God that is about to hit our nation. God is the one who brings revival and awakening or whatever you want to call it, and it awakens people. But much is dependent on us as far as to how soon that happens. I believe God is bringing things to the surface in people's lives so that they can be healed and removed out of your life. Things that we don't need, I believe God's going to bring to the service and is doing that in people's lives now so he can just heal that wound or heal that pain or just remove that thing out of your life that's not going to prevent you from everything that he has for you i believe god is calling us to make more time to pray for our city and nation your life will be prepared as you pray our willingness to repent of sin allowing healing to take place in our lives and being obedient to God are keys to God releasing a fresh wind and fire of His Spirit over our city and nation. No place will be left untouched. Churches won't hold the people. Ovals will be full. Public places will see a visitation of the power and the presence of God. And I was just... And I, just, and, God, and I just wrote all that stuff down a few weeks ago as, uh, before I last uh, spoke that message. And if you're here a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday night, I shared that. And, uh, and I'm going to share some of what I uh, shared that night as well this morning. I know many of you wouldn't have been in that service. Last time I talked about being comfortably uncomfortable. And uh, I'm going to share a few thoughts around that today as well. But just before we sit down, I just want to feel to pray this morning. Lord, I just pray today that you're already speaking to hearts in this place. In the moments of that third song, Lord God, when we sang that song that is many years old, Lord God, your presence filled this place. And people felt you that maybe haven't felt your presence and power before. So, Lord, I pray today that you would break open every stony heart. And I pray our hearts to be soft and ready to receive what you want to speak today and what you want to say today. 
that we would be ready to respond today to whatever you call, whenever, whatever you want to say to us, that we'd be ready to meet with you and to hear your voice this morning. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can take your seat this morning. Comfortably uncomfortable. Talked about that a few weeks ago. And uh, just, just along those lines, today I, uh, I want to change it a little bit, but I want to speak to you, and the title I'm using is Being Stuck in a Box. Ever been stuck in a box? You have? Excellent. I think I was once as well. Um, I remember my son Riley got stuck in a box once. They just put him, some friends of his put him in a box. He thought it was great fun, but uh, he wasn't there too long. I guess if he got stuck in a box though and couldn't get out, that could be a problem. But our lives, we can sometimes get ourselves stuck in a box. Sometimes we can actually put God in a box as well. We might talk a bit about that as we go along. But there's times in our lives where we have the opportunity to encounter God and to also be involved with someone else encountering God. And there's there's moments in a meeting, there's moments in our lives where when we have a moment with God, it's always a moment of an encounter that brings you closer to Him. It can happen in a moment in a song. It, can, it, it was like it's a moment this morning in that third song. We, we sang those words and there was just a moment there where we just went quiet for a moment. And it's like God in, a, in, in that time can actually speak to someone's heart or life and actually just bring you closer to Him. He, like he, loves to us, he wants us to draw close to Him. Everything we do needs to come out of relationship with Him. Everything that happens around us needs to come out of relationship with Jesus. And so I want you to think about, have that in your mind this morning, moments of encounter with God will always bring us closer to, to, to Him. Two things I want to talk about this morning are not seeing the opportunity and inconvenience. I want to talk about inconvenience, the word inconvenience. Some of you don't, are not going to like that word. Inconvenience, when things inconvenience us. And also I want to talk about putting God in a box. So let's talk about inconvenience, because inconvenience or putting God in a box are two things that will prevent us from encountering Him or prevent us from receiving what God has for us or will keep us sometimes at a distance from what God is doing. Inconvenience, in the Cambridge English Dictionary, there's many uh, definitions of it, but simply says this, it's a state or an example of problems or trouble often causing a delay or loss of comfort. Loss of comfort. Who loves having a loss of comfort? Not too many people. Inconvenience is when things aren't working towards your plan, when they aren't going your way, when something interrupts your day. Who, who hates it when something interrupts their day? Jesus was regularly inconvenienced by people who had great need. You read all through the New Testament Nearly every time we see Jesus, he was inconvenienced, interrupted by someone or something was going on. He was inconvenienced all the time. Yet Jesus did not get frustrated, annoyed, or mad with inconvenience. You notice he didn't, he didn't people would come to him, actually the opposite would happen. He, the Bible would say he had compassion on the crowd. He was tired. He was, there's times when he just wanted to go by himself. Away. He's been preaching all day, speaking all day. Pe- hundreds of people being healed. And then he go- walks around the corner over a mountain and there's a crowds of thousands there who had just got, come to meet him because they had great need. And it could have been a great inconvenience. Probably was a great inconvenience. But the Bible says, but he had compassion on the crowd. 
There was times when he spent, you know, went away by himself to prepare and do all that kind of stuff. But there were so many times where he was inconvenienced and yet it didn't annoy him. It didn't get him mad. He didn't get frustrated. He didn't take it out on people. He did, his heart was for people, and so the inconvenience didn't affect him. There's a story I want to read that highlights uh, some of this, and I want to kind of, I want you to put yourself in this picture in a moment. There's a story you probably, a lot of you have probably heard it before, and uh, regarding two miracles that happen. And it says in Mark 5, 21 to 43, it says, Jesus got into a boat again and went back to the other side of the lake. There's all these incredible things that just happened all day long, where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jarius, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. So Jesus went with him and all the people followed. So we're talking thousands of people are crowded around, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, but had suffered a great deal from um, many doctors. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. So Jesus arrives out of a boat. Thousands of people there waiting for him. Jarius pushes through the crowd. He's a significant leader in the synagogue, in the church there. And he says, my daughter's about to die. Can you come with me? Can you pray for her? Because I believe you can heal her. And Jesus says, I'll come. And so, and then while he starts walking with thousands of people around him, we hear about this lady and her condition. And then she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped and she couldn't feel in, uh, in her body that she had been healed. Uh, she, she, she felt in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? At that point, everyone thought Jesus is crazy because he's got... Hundreds of people bumping into him. Hundreds of people wanting to get near him. You know, he's like, he was, he was almost like people wanted to be near him, but they wanted to see Jesus because it's almost like this celebrity, like they'd heard about all these miracles. And so he's got people just pushing against him for all different reasons. But this lady, her reason was, I want to need a miracle. I don't have to have a conversation with Jesus. I, I'm, if I can just touch the edge of his garment i believe that will be enough and so that's what she does she reaches out and she's instantly healed and jesus asks the question who touched me who touched my robe his disciples said to him look at the crowd pressing around you how can you ask who touched me but he kept on looking around to see who had done it then the then the frightened woman trembling at the realization of what had happened to her came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done and he said to her daughter your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. And while he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jarius, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. So she gets miraculously healed. Other sick people were also pressing around Jesus who weren't healed. The difference was she touched Jesus with faith. And received her healing. 
where they just wanted to get close to Jesus, not knowing how to receive their healing, didn't come with faith because they didn't know. They, had, they thought, oh, Jesus will have to do something. She wasn't going to wait for Jesus to see her because he wouldn't have seen her. She just said, I'm going to press through the crowd and touch Jesus with faith. And she received a miracle. And then straight after that happening, messengers come to Jairus and said, your daughter's died. While all that stuff's going on, while the delay happened, while Jesus went off and healed someone else and stopped and said, hang on, who touched me? Because this, you know, you read it quick, but it would have taken a little bit of time. And, and so, and all this stuff, there's crowd around and, and he finds out the news that your daughter has died. Let me, let me change the scenario for a minute. Let's, let's put ourselves in this scenario. Let's say it's your daughter. Let's say it's your son, your father, your mother, your brother, your sister. Let's say it's one of your family members. And let's say you've rung the doctor. They're very sick. They're, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna die unless some medicine comes. And so you ring the doctor and the doctor says, yes, I'll come. And, he, and you know he's got what they need and he says, yeah, I can treat. This can be treated and, uh, and, and this will work. And so the doctor's on the way. On the way, the doctor gets a phone call. And says, oh, there's a person just around the corner who's, they're, they're, you know, they're in great need. And so the doctor says, okay. And so the doctor stops on his way. And he has also some medicine for that person. Like he, Jesus stopped for this lady who had reached out in faith. Someone reached out to the doctor who was on the way to your need. And, and he stops and gives the medicine to the, the other person. And they get well. And, and then all of a sudden... Your family member gets worse, and maybe your family member dies. How would you feel? What would you say to the doctor? That doctor should be sacked. That doctor should. I'm going to go to. I'm going to put all over social media. You'd be grieving. You'd be hurting. You'd be like mad. And so, do you think Jarius? What do you, th- do you think Jarius was mad, afraid? Like, it's like, Jesus, if, you, if you'd have not stopped, you would have got there in time. But the Bible doesn't say he was like that. The next line says this. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jarius, don't be afraid, just have faith. Do you know what? It didn't faze Jesus at all. Whether that person was nearly dead or dead, it made no difference to Jesus because he, whatever the condition was, he carried life. He carried the healing power of God. Have you thought about this, that your inconvenience could be someone else's miracle? Jairus' inconvenience of his daughter dying, Jesus taking longer, Jesus stopping was actually... That lady's miracle may have been our only opportunity in those three years when Jesus walked the earth. May have been our only opportunity for her to meet him. It was an inconvenience for Jairus's family. It was an, it was like a shock that Jesus didn't come quick enough and their daughter died. But what was an inconvenience for them? What was trouble for them? What made the situation worse for them was actually a miracle for her. And I want to tell you, there's inconveniences that will come past your life that you might think, this is a hassle, it's an inconvenience, this person's an inconvenience, this situation's an inconvenience, but what if your inconvenience is someone else's miracle? What if that person that's inconveniencing you is about to receive something from God that only you can give them? 
but you miss it because you say, sorry, I haven't got the time, I need to keep going. And so the good thing about Jesus is that the story doesn't end on that note. In the natural with a doctor, maybe if the person died, then it was probably all over. That was, that was the situation, but not with Dr. Jesus. An inconvenience will often get you out of your comfort zone. So suddenly Jarius is, you know, suddenly he's in a, un, a more uncomfortable position. He's in a whole other scenario. She's not just really sick about to die. She's now died. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. In other words, Jesus looked at his face and Jarius is panicking. Jarius is like, she's died. And it's, her, it's his only daughter and she's 12 years old. Her only, his only daughter, only daughter has just died. And he says, have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John. That's significant. The brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw how much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. And the Bible says the crowd laughed at him. And the next line says, but Jesus made them all leave. So just think about this for a moment. He arrives. Some of them may knew who he was. He was, God's, he was God's representative. He carried the power and presence of God. Miracles happened. And so he arrives, and when he says that she's not, she's not dead, she's only asleep, the crowd laughed at him. They just didn't agree with him, saying, oh, no, she's died, Jesus. They laughed. In other words, they mocked the presence of God. They didn't believe the presence of God. They had unbelief. And so the next thing Jesus asked them to do, he says, well, I want you all to go. If you've got unbelief, you're not going to see a miracle. I don't want unbelief here. And so Jesus removed unbelief out of the way. He, didn't want, he wasn't going to allow anyone to stand there and disrespect what God was about to do, the presence of God. And so he removed them. And then it says... That, and then he took the girl's father and mother and the three disciples that he asked to come with him into the room. So what did he do? He took faith in the room. He took those in the room, the mother and dad, they believed Jesus could do it because the dad went all the way over to find Jesus and said, I know you can heal her. And so they still had faith to believe that he could raise her from the dead. And he took three disciples with him that were full of faith and said, you come with me because I know you've got faith to see the dead raised. And so we're all going to walk in. So he removed unbelief. He removed anyone with a disrespect to the presence of God. And he took in faith into the room. And he took the girl's um, father and mother into the room, three disciples into the room where the girl was lying, holding her hand. He said to her, Talitha Kum, which means little girl, get up. It was so simple. He just told her to get up. That was it. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened, as if that was going to happen. And then he told them to give her something to eat. Doesn't matter how bad the situation gets, Jesus can always do a miracle in the midst of it. It doesn't matter what you're facing, it doesn't matter how bad it gets. Don't let inconvenience stop you. 
from seeing miracles happen. Your inconvenience could be someone else's miracle. Miracles aren't just meant for us as well. Sometimes God wants us to be involved with people's miracles, their lives, their salvation. And often it doesn't happen without our involvement. And so sometimes God will deliberately allow inconvenience to happen in our lives and uncomfortable situations to happen in our lives. But we have to step out of our comfort zone to help someone else. And that's the area of faith. You're not stepping in your own strength. You're stepping out into faith. And then when faith is activated, miracles happen. And so your inconvenience can be someone else's miracle. Here's a true story. I remember this story years ago at Planet Shake as a speaker came from America and he was telling a story that happened to him. And he said he was walking, uh, it was at a train station. He was in America, he was about to catch a train. Sorry, it wasn't, it was an airport in America about to catch a plane. And he's standing there waiting, had a little bit of time. And God speaks to him and says, there was, a, there was a vending machine there that did, you know, chips and drinks and all that kind of stuff. He said, he's, and the Holy Spirit says to him, I want you to go over to the side of that vending machine and do a handstand against the machine. And he's like, and he's like, no, devil. He's like, he's like literally going, what a stupid, he said, that's not God. And, so, and then he's like, no, that, that's, oh, I must be going crazy. And so he ignored it. And then five minutes later, I even felt stronger. I want you to go over to that vending machine and I want you to do a handstand against that vending machine. And so he ignored it. And then the third time, it came so strong, he just knew it was God. Now he knew God's word. And he's like, I want you to do it. If you don't do it, you're disobeying me. And he's like, okay. And so it's, it's a busy airport. There's hundreds of people around. And so he, he walks over. To this vending machine, he said, and he, you know, this is him telling the story. So, and he said, I walked over, I did a handstand against this vending machine. Good, good thing you could do a handstand because it wouldn't be a hard, it wouldn't be an easy thing to do. And, um, and does a handstand against this vending machine, does it for a few minutes, and then just comes down. He's standing there, and a woman runs over to him. And she goes, Why did you do that? Why did you do a handstand against that vending machine? And, and he's like, Well, we said, Well, God told me to. And she's like, and she burst into tears. And she said, I've been sitting over there, and I'm about, I, was, I was contemplating whether I was going to kill myself today. And she said, God, if you're real, you get someone to do a handstand <laughs> against that vending machine. And if you do that, I know you're real. And, so, and then that very, in that very moment, he led her to Jesus, and she surrendered her life to him. True story. Inconvenience? Yes. Miracle? Yes. Doesn't mean that God's always going to tell you to do a handstand against a vending machine, especially if you're probably over the age of 80, okay? So it could be a problem. You might need the miracle afterwards. But true story. So you never know what God may ask you to do. Don't ever write off something that seems strange in the natural because the supernatural is not meant to look like our natural we love to control the natural we love to control the situation and god wants us to give him full control and that time that doesn't always sit with us that doesn't always feel comfortable and that's okay it's not meant to because the supernatural is meant to get you out of your comfort zone 
I want to share another story with you, and I won't read the whole story, but to give you some background, there's a man in the Bible called Eli, who was a priest of Israel, who had two sons, and his son, he, so he was a judge of Israel for 40 years, and his two sons uh, were priests of Israel in the temple. Both his sons were wicked. This is the time of Samuel, who grew up in that same temple and became a great man of God. And these two sons are wicked. In other words, when the people come to begin the offerings at the temple and all those kinds of things, instead of like doing the right thing with it, they would take the food for themselves and they disrespected the presence of God and they did all these wicked things. And so because of their wickedness and because Eli, their father, didn't, he sort of said, he knew they were doing the wrong thing and he'd say, hey, you're doing the wrong thing, guys, you shouldn't do it. But he wasn't hard enough on them. He didn't remove them and he allowed them to stay there and he pulled them up but they just kept doing it over and over again and because of this God had like taken a step away like if you don't want to follow me because that's the leadership down and so it was causing the people to turn away from God because their leaders the judge of Israel who should be hearing from God Eli and his sons who should be honoring God's presence when they came to give offerings weren't doing the right thing and so God had quite taken a step back and so at that same time the Philistines are at war with the Philistines and they went to battle. And the first battle, the Philistines won and 4,000 Israelites were killed. And then the Israelites go, okay, this is, we, we're going to go to battle again. You know, we're talking this time tens of thousands of people. And, and he said, but this time we've got to get the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God, okay? And so they said, we've got to bring the Ark of the Covenant into the battle. And so they march into the battle. And the Bible says in... Um, in 1 Samuel, you can read this whole account, chapter 4, it says that the Philistines saw the Ark of the Covenant coming, recognized what it was, and they said that they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, they bring, and they sort of said they're bringing their gods, and they didn't understand there was one God, but their gods are coming into the camp, and so we're going to have to fight really hard, this battle's going to be tough or whatever, and they walk in with the Ark of the Covenant. The battle happens, and, th- and, they, and Israel loses the battle, and 30,000 people are killed. Not because the ark didn't have power, because of their disobedience, God had, he wasn't fighting with them because they haven't repented of, of their sin. And so in the middle of that battle, the, his two sons, the priests, were both killed in that battle. And then a messenger, and I just want to read this part to you, a messenger runs over to um, tell Eli what the report on the battle. This time Eli is very old, and it says in 1 Samuel 4, 18, it says, when the messenger mentioned, he told him all about your sons had just died, just told him that. And then he says, when the messenger mentioned what had happened to the Ark of, the Ark of God, because the Philistines had captured it and taken it to their camp. Eli fell backward from his seat beside the gate. He broke his neck and died, for he was old and overweight. The Bible gives plenty of detail. He was Israel's judge for 40 years. Eli's daughter-in-law, so one of the priest's sons, the wife of uh, Phineas, that was one of his sons, was pregnant and, and near her time of delivery. When she heard that the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and husband were dead, she went into labor and gave birth. She died in childbirth, but before she passed away, the midwives tried to encourage her, don't be afraid, they said, you have a baby boy. But she did not answer or pay attention to them. Now, this is the part I want. I'm just reading this story in preparation, what I'm going to read in a moment, a story. She named the child Ichabod, which means where is the glory? For she said, Israel's glory is gone. She named him this because the ark of God had been captured and and because her father-in-law and husband were dead. Then she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. It's a whole sad story. 
But, and then Samuel after this is, God uh, rises him up and he changes everything. But it's a sad story, but it all started because they did not want to respect the presence of God. They dishonored the presence of God. They dishonored um, God and, and they wouldn't follow him. And so it affected the whole nation. I read this story I want to read to you. Uh, in a book that it was about 20 years old that was written in the midst of a move of God. And, this, and he tells a story about a, a real church. This is many years ago. Um, and it flows along with respecting the presence of God. I want to read this not because we don't, but because it's a reminder in our personal lives and in our church that honouring God's presence and his power is, is, is foremost. That when we do that, God moves in great power. When we don't, there's trouble. And so, listen to this story. I remember, this is a pastor in America telling this story. I remember reading about a church where the power of God flowed in wonderful streams of glory. The people enjoyed rich, full worship and uh, of exuberance and joy. When they said, praise the Lord, they meant it with all their hearts. Their words didn't resonate like a uh, sounding brass or tinkling cymbal we hear in so many Christian circles today. They sang songs with meaning and the Spirit of God moved so powerfully during the song services that people often got up on their own without an altar call and walked to the altar to pray. When the old silver-haired pastor finally stood to preach, no one noticed that his voice was almost gone from years of heartfelt, spirit-inspired preaching. He preached with depth and a rich sense of the grace of God, strengthened by the certainty that there were intercessors and prayer warriors praying for him for those in need. These praying men and women knew how to touch God. They had spent much of the week secreted away in prayer closets or bedrooms, praying and interceding. O God, when our pastor stands to minister, let the anointing be on him. Let your power be there to draw people to you. They weren't interested in being elevated above others. Neither did they want to be seen or heard by... um, Appreciative audiences, their greatest joy and the source of the fulfillment came when they got alone with God and prayed fervently until God saved souls. When the old pastor decided to retire, the history of the church was forever changed. Little did the people understand that not only was the ministry of their beloved pastor ending, but the uh, vitality of the church was also coming to an end. Over the years, they had known the depths of rich anointing and outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Solid Bible preaching and godly leadership had embedded the strong foundation in most members of the congregation, drawing them even closer to the Lord and His will. Unfortunately, this was not true for all members of the congregation. The Individuals on the pulpit committee felt that certain changes needed to be made. When they began their search for a new pastor, they all agreed to look for a very young man. They also agreed that it was time to do away with some of the emotionalism in worship, especially the groaning and travailing of the intercessors. The committee had no difficulty in finding a preacher who met their qualifications. Sadly, they never bothered to ask God what his qualifications might be. The candidate chosen by the pulpit committee perfectly matched their list of qualifications. When he preached, there was little of an irritating emotionalism they had so wanted to avoid, and the congregation seemed amazingly docile. (laughs) The committee found the place quite refreshing. One, One irritation still remained, did remain, however... The former pastor's most faithful and elderly intercessor continued to rise from a pew at the end of the service and kneel down on the carpet at the same two worn spots where her fragile knees had knelt for so many decades to plead for the souls of the lost. 
The new pastor was quite uncomfortable with this intercession of the elderly saint. Indeed, the altar call, when this godly woman began to intercede before God and publicly travail, my God, send us revival. My God, give us souls this morning. Don't let souls leave here and go to hell, was the most difficult part of his duties. So disturbed was the new pastor that he strongly considered discarding this politically politically incorrect, there are two words we hear today, um, and somewhat primitive religious ritual from the order of service. He felt that there was something spooky about it all. The former pastor, on the other hand, had looked forward to this dear saint's prayer, knowing that it poured from the heart of God. It was the Spirit of God praying and travailing through this godly woman. Unfortunately, no one in Bible college had ever covered these subjects with the new pastor of the church. The young pastor endured this public spectacle for almost six months. But one Sunday morning, after he had finished his sermon, he took action. As usual, the dear old sister was uh, down on her knees, travailing. So lost was she in intercession that she didn't even realize that the pastor had ended the sermon without giving an altar call. Oh God, oh God, she cried, her little wrinkled face wet with tears. The young pastor tapped the elderly intercessor on the shoulder and said, Honey... There won't be any more need for that. We don't want that in this church because it hinders newcomers from coming. They just don't understand it. The pastor didn't know it, but by his ignorant action that day, he posted an ancient Hebrew name, Ichabod, over the front door of the church. That means the glory of the Lord has departed. And I don't know why... You know, I read that and I, and I had to share that again and I don't know why, but it's like, it's like when God's saying my glory and my presence, it's not going to always look great. It's not going to always look comfortable. People, when God moves, it's not always going to look perfect. It's not going to look all, let's control, because you can't control God when he moves. Our, our nation doesn't need comfortable churches. It needs to be shaken by God. It's not going to look comfortable. It's going to look messy. It's not going to stay in churches. It's going to be on streets. It's going to be on corners. It's going to be in shopping centers. It's going to invade places. It's going to be in your home. It's not going to look. It's not going to look comfortable. It's not. And I'm not saying that we have to be on the floor crying out and interceding for people. It's not nothing about that at all. That the point is that that pastor thought he he is he wanted. People were more important than God to him. Pleasing people was more important than the presence of God. And he disrespected. It's like me. If you were responding to an altar call today and you were, and you were crying and I was just like to say to you, sorry, um, we, don't, we don't want you crying at this altar. You, we don't want you to do that. This is, we, it makes a few people over here very uncomfortable. Can you please stop doing that? If I did that, how disrespectful. I'm basically saying, God, we don't want you here. We don't want you here. And I'm not saying that because our church isn't like that. But I'm telling you, when we honour and respect the presence of God, even more than what we are now, when we come here expecting as one church to worship Him, there's God will come in such power and glory that people will be healed before they make it to the front. You'll walk in the door and the presence of God will heal people and set people free. They won't even have to wait for a message or a sermon or a song to start because God's glory will come because He's there's a 
gathering of people that are together and one. And, and God says, where there's unity, I pour out the blessing. My favor comes. And so I'm just saying to you that individually in our lives, let's honor God more than we ever have before. As a church, let's be hungry for what God is about to do and is doing in our place. Don't take it for granted. It's so easy to take it for granted what God is doing. We walk into this church and we, we have incredible worship and the presence of God is here. And sometimes we can go so used to that and take it for granted. And God's saying, don't stay satisfied. Get hungry, even more hungry for my presence, more hungry for what I'm about to do because there's hundreds, there's thousands of people out there that are yet to walk in these doors and maybe never will. They're going to encounter him outside the walls of a church and you need to be ready. It will be an inconvenience to you. But the inconvenience will be a miracle for them. And so don't let inconvenience stop you from seeing someone else's miracle happen because you carry the power and the presence of God. He was wanting to control God and put God in a box. We haven't got too much time left, so let me just race through this last bit. It's so easy to put God in a box. Sometimes it's, you know, the religious leaders did that in Jesus' time. They made up 600 new laws um, to control the people, basically, the Pharisees and Sadducees, and they would control the people. And so Jesus came, though, and he basically changed all that. He broke, he just, he, did, he didn't break their, well, he broke their man-made laws. They didn't do it the way they thought he should. And so he just did it a totally different way, and that made them uncomfortable. That shook them up. Jesus' greatest threat wasn't the devil or demons or whatever. He would just cast them out. It was actually his greatest threat or opposition was religious people that trying to control what God was trying to do. And so we've got to be careful to never ever put God in a box saying God moves this way or does this way, this will happen this way. And it's almost like without even trying to do it, you can do it without even knowing about it. Jesus deliberately did things differently all the time. He's, one time the guy's blind, so he spits on the ground, makes mud, rubs it in his eyes, which if he did that today would look pretty crazy and strange. And, so, and he says, wash your eyes out. And he goes and washes his eyes out and then he could see. Another time, so people must thought, oh, if you put God in a box, it's like, oh, well, I've got to go get spit in the ground and get some mud and I'll go do that and the person will get healed. But the next time, Jesus, um, blind Bartimaeus yells out to Jesus and said, Jesus, have mercy on me. And he says, what do you want? And he said, I want to see. And he says, see. Your faith has made you be able to see. And he was instantly healed. Now you go, why didn't Jesus, why did Jesus go through all the mud and the spit and all that kind of stuff? He could have just said, be healed. Because he doesn't want to do things the same all the time. I don't know why, but that's, what he, that's how he is. He doesn't want us to get in a mindset of God and a formula, put God into a formula. God does this way. We have to worship this way or we have to sing this way. We have to sing this song or that song. It has to be fast. has to be slow. We have to pray this way. We have to close our eyes when we pray. We have to get on our knees when we pray. We have to cry, otherwise God's not touching us. No, we have to fall over because when God's touching us. No, that's not correct. You can stand there and encounter God as much as someone who falls over, cries, blinks, jumps up and down. It doesn't matter. It's not about the outside, it's about what's going on on the inside. And so we've got to be careful not to put God in a box. I've got another story, but I haven't got time to share it. Okay, I'll share it. Okay, so years ago... I was driving home from a meeting in 1995, and um, and and I was I was my 
graduated year 12, and, uh, and instead of going on schoolies or whatever they did, I went to a state conference, and Rodney Howard Brown was a guest speaker, and God showed up in power and moved. And I went down there with a friend called Dale, who's uh, down on the Sunshine Coast now, and, uh, and, we, and God just moved in, in just a different way. And so it was when God touched people in these meetings, they would laugh uncontrollably and cry uncontrollably and all that kind of stuff. And so... People were leaving the meeting at Boondle Entertainment Centre, 10,000 people, and driving up the street, and the power of God was hitting them as they drove their car, and they would start laughing uncontrollably. And so they they didn't have any, there was no accidents, but, but they would, you know, the police were signed, kind of coming past and, and noticed there's some drivers that are driving a bit slower, and they start breathalyzing people, and there's no alcohol or anything like that, and they start saying, oh, we've come for this meeting come to this meeting anyway so and they would let people move on and and whatever and was trying to understand what was happening and it wasn't just a few people it was hundreds of people and so and so Dale and I are driving this car he was driving and and God had touched him and he, he was he was I just about drag him out of the building and uh and and so we and he's laughing uncontrollably anyway he's trying to calm down a bit and but it was quite coming waves where God was touching and I'll explain why that was in a moment we're driving up the road and the police are stopping cars and all that kind of stuff doing random stuff and as we're about to pull up to this policeman the power of God hits Dale and he just starts laughing uncontrollably like worse than ever and I'm like no this is bad timing it's like I'm sitting, I'm 18 years old. I'm like, this is bad timing, Dale. What are you doing? And he just loses. He's just laughing, laughing. And the, poli- and the policeman walks and we walk down the window. And he looks at me, he looks at Dale, and he goes, have you guys been to the meeting, have you? And, uh, and I said, yeah, just been to the meeting. He goes, just, just keep going. It's okay, don't <laughs> And so, so what I want to say is I've seen, that, I've seen that happen in our church. I can point to people who are sitting here today that's happened to in our church. But what I'm saying is, if I knew Dale, and it wasn't about what was happening on the outside, he was getting so free on the inside. And what he's doing today, he's running an incredible centre down in Nambour. What he's doing today, he would, go, he would tell you, looking back on those days, he said, God encountered me so powerfully and so richly in that time. That prepared me for what I'm doing today. So never underestimate. Don't put God in a box, what he may do, how it shows up, what it looks like, because God will move in different ways. So how do we know we put God in the box? We're about to finish in a moment. This, this list may be a bit challenging to some of you. If we put God in a box, we want to be in control. We organize the things of God to fit into our time, not His. God comes second. We read the Bible when it fits into our calendar. We pray when it fits into our calendar. We come to church or attend a life group when it fits into our calendar. Your life is just going through the motions. You don't look forward to coming to church like you used to. God's voice is hard to hear, and you don't often respond to his call. But if that's you today, or one of those things are you today, there's good news. God hasn't stepped away from you. God hasn't moved. He's waiting for you to turn to him and respond to his call. And I believe there's people here today that he wants people to turn to him and respond to his call. I'm going to read two scriptures and we're going to play a song. It's going to be a video. And we're just going to, I want to bring the lights down. And during this song, if you want to get up out of your seat and stand at the altar, kneel at the altar, whatever you want to do, I'll ask everyone to stand before we sing this song. It's a song about responding to God, about God is calling us to respond. And how will you answer? 
And I just believe is, I just felt to, I heard this song a few days ago, and just felt when I heard it, just do it this morning, that God was going to do something in this moment. Two scriptures, Matthew 6.33, So above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him. Then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. Chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, Trust in the Lord completely and do not rely on your own opinions. With all your heart, rely on him to guide you and he will lead you in every decision you make. Become intimate with him in whatever you do and he will lead you wherever you go. Thank you for joining us. The Bayside Christian Church community aims to transform our city and beyond with the life and power of Jesus Christ. If you want to know more or just keep in touch, check us out at www.baysidechristianchurch.com.au or follow us on our social media sites at Bayside Christian Church.